Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. In podcast 78, titled, Is It Too Early For Sherry?, we had so many reviews that we had to split our show into two parts. You are now listening to the second part of our end-of-month review show. This show contains reviews of Bad Boys for Life, The Rhythm Section, Emma, While You Were Sleeping, Slenderman, 71, The Buddy Holly Story, and a review of the first six Studio Ghibli movies that aired on Netflix in February. Let's kick things off with Jeff and Darren's review of Bad Boys for Life. One last time. One last time. Cause it's bad boys for life. Bad boys, bad boy. Hey, what she gonna do? do? What she gonna do when we come in? Hey, hey, hey uh-uh. No, no, no never. Y'all will never do that again. Cause it's bad boys for life. 17 years after their last adventure, the police bad boys team of Mike Lowry, Will Smith and Marcus Burnett and Martin Lawrence are still working the streets of Miami. Marcus, however, has had enough of this and is about to retire, just not too soon. Unknown to both of them, drug cartel widow Isabel Arates, Kate del Castillo, has escaped from prison and is heading for America to get revenge on Mike Lowry. Sounds like your sort of film, Jeff, but will they be talking about it in a Hot Fuzz sequel? Probably not, to be quite honest. <laughs> um, Should yeah. Marcus Burnett have retired earlier? Well, yeah, I should have retired. <laughs> I should have gone to see Parasite. I should have followed the advice that you guys give me. But, you know. Let I, that I, be a lesson to you. <laughs> yeah, I like to be otherwise. I've got to be honest, I've never been a fan of the bad boy films. One and two I didn't particularly like. However, this was updated. The reviews in it were quite pleasant. And to be honest... The start time of this in Cine World fitted with the time I had left that afternoon. <laughs> so I chose this film and it was a mistake. There's very few laughs. Martin Lawrence is now so fat he can't even do action scenes. He sort of stands in close up and there's some stunt double running around for him. Neil, you could have done more action scenes <laughs> than him. It's just, I don't know, Will Smith. Really, yeah, your popularity's going well. You're not as good as you were. You need to get this sorted. On the positive side on this film, well, there is a positive, there is a positive side. side. I was surprised because there were two twists that caught me out in this. I didn't expect any twist at all, and I expected straightforward narrative, and it didn't. It, it threw a couple of things in there, and I didn't see them coming. I wasn't looking for them, so they caught me out by surprise. Plus, Joe Pantolino's in it, and that guy's fantastic. <laughs> Ever since I saw him as Guido the Killer Pimp in Risky Business, I've been a huge fan. Unfortunately, this has been a great box office hit and there are going to be more coming. I won't be watching them. You mentioned Hot Fuzz. You can rest assured that if there is a remake of Hot Fuzz, this will not be mentioned. Okay, I've trashed it. Darren, over to you. Uh, I'm probably going to be a lot kinder to it. I was surprised that I actually did enjoy this film. I was never a fan of the originals, mainly because of Michael Bay. I have really no time for his sort of style of action with the sort of like the fast cuts and camera angles from all directions and everything. Uh, but I, I, th- I thought it was fine. Generally speaking, I, I, I like the chemistry between uh, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. I, I did think it that at least was a bit of a story between them, where sort of Martin Lawrence was wanting to quit and Will Smith was basically just 
you know, couldn't walk away from the wife. So it was a little bit of a thing in there. And I actually enjoyed, you know, the, the new team that they, that they had around them, you know, the, the younger ones, that sort of, the new uh, policing methods and, and everything were very, very, very hands-on, whereas the other guys have all got the computers and the drones and everything. Um, so I wouldn't say that I, I, I loved it, but I enjoyed it while it was there. I had fun. I personally don't particularly want to see any more. Um, <laughs> no, okay unfortunately, and, you will be seeing more. I thought it was just a fine action movie. I enjoyed it for what it was. A lot better than the other two of that, so. But it never covers any ground that Lethal Weapon hasn't already covered, is it, really? Not at all. I mean, I, mean, I think that might be one of the reasons why I never took to the Bad Boys movies is that I thought that the Lethal Weapon films had a lot more. They had a lot more drama and, and heart, but the Lethal Weapon films were always sort of, they had a lot of humour, but when it wanted to get serious, it would really up the ante in, in a really major way, whereas this one... Even when the dramatic things was on there, but still be sort of like almost like a flippant style to the humour. You know, there was always a wise crap coming along and that sort of thing. So, but yeah, um, it, like, like I say, it, it was fine. It was just uh, as, as compared to a lot of the other sequels and, and reboots and like revisiting old franchises. I, th- I think this one, at least for, for me, was just sort of like you know disposably enjoyable. But don't you think Martin Lawrence needs to get a trainer so he can actually get into some sort of shape so he can actually do action scenes? But I think they actually played around with that. They made that into a uh, into a plot point because for his character was pasty. It was out of shape. You know, he wasn't able to keep up with Will Smith. When, when you sort of go back to a franchise after 17 years and the characters have aged, I think that was a good way to handle uh, well, you know, one of the characters in the fact that they are now past it. And it gave a bit of a conflict between the two, that, that he wanted out of the life, he wanted to basically you know, go, go back to his family and just sort of put everything behind him. And Will Smith had only this almost like addiction that he couldn't leave it behind for, you know, for one reason or another. So at least I think that gave you know, a little bit of a subplot uh, you know, I'm I'm fine with a uh, a fat Martin okay. Robbins. No, that sounds fair enough. So, lads, you haven't seen it. You based on everything you've heard here, would you go watch it? No. Okay, moving on to next <laughs> review then, Graham for the rhythm section. I lost my family three years ago. They were killed. I have nothing left. I'll find the people who did this. I'll kill every last one of them. I need your help. Stop. Don't panic. Be calm. Be still. You've got to get your rhythm section under control. Think of your heart as the drums. Your breathing as the bass. You're going to have to be someone else. Let's go. I'm going to do this my way. A lot of people think that you're dead. I get that a lot. The rhythm section. When are you going to teach me to fight? It would take too long. How long? Your menopause will be a distant memory. That's a good start. Based on the first in the thriller series written by Mark Burnell, years after her family are killed in a plane crash, Stephanie Patrick, played by Blake Lively, has descended into becoming a a drug-addicted prostitute. When a reporter convinces her the crash was the work of a terrorist, Stephanie begins the long road back to recovery and revenge. To do so, she has to enter a world that is far more dangerous than the one she has just left. As this is produced by the Bond producers, I would expect this to be a slick action thriller. Am I right, Darren? 
I won't say it's a slick catch and throw. It's more like a really dirty, grimy one, to be honest. <laughs> I have to say that I almost didn't go to see this film because the reviews were absolutely like beyond awful. A lot of the places where I get my reviews from were really sort of tanking it, were calling it like a really amateurish film and sort of like, you know, really slow and plodding. I actually thought it was fine. I found it refreshing that it was sort of an action movie that was sort of, you know, down and, and gritty and wasn't sort of stylized as stuff. The storyline was over the top to like, you know, this sort of drug addicted woman going down to tracking down terrorist network and being trained and stuff like that. But I, I actually like the fact that she didn't become this like a competent superwoman sort of doing karate moves and everything that you get in a lot of these sort of films. She was a lot of the sort of the action scene was very sort of like um, very close up and, and personal. And a lot of the time that the, the targets that she was going after, she would either screw up or lose a nerve or they would get the better of her. I thought it was different, re- re- refreshing. I personally thought this, this was fine. Okay, it's, that's interesting, and a lot of that I actually agree with. I was surprised, you know, this is Eon Productions, this is Bonds, they do this gritty, sort of realistic and gutsy thriller. I did worry at the beginning because, you know, this plane that had crashed, the official word was it was an accident, the unofficial word was it was terrorists, a reporter is being paid to investigate it, and he brings on board a drug-addled prostitute as you would. Ignoring that part of it, once she's on board the adventure, and and Darren's right, the way it plays things, you know, she goes off on the revenge trail, they work out the first guy who's the link in the chain, she goes to try and kill him but can't do it. That in itself unleashes all hell around her. She then gets involved with Jude Law, who's this MI5 agent who's been put to one side. He trains her and sets her off on these missions, and each mission goes almost disastrously wrong. I don't know about you, Darren, but that car chase, you know, when it's focused on her face, and you can only just see in the back the other car chasing her and banging into the back of the car, I thought that was really, really well done. So I was surprised in in a lot of the um, reviews I saw were really sort of down on the direction. They said that it was... I mean, some of the things said it was like amateurish and that she sort of, she was basically trying to show off with all these sort of new techniques and, and things. I actually thought it worked really well. And like you said, that scene, to me, that created more tension. It felt more realistic because if you were in a car chase, that's what I'm, how you imagine it would be. It wouldn't be like, you know, a spectacular chase like you get in the Bond films or, or in, in Bad Boys, for example, we talked about earlier. It would be clumsy and reckless and dangerous feeling. And, and yeah, I really liked a, a lot of the sort of choices in that. I agree. And there's a lot of subversion in this film. There's another sequence where she's out training with Jude Law and Jude Law says, right, okay. And by the way, Blake Lively is really good in this film. But there's one sequence where he's left her and the only way she can get back is to swim. It's the dead of winter anyway, so it's really cold all around and they're in Scotland and she strips off. Now in a Bond film, she would be shown up as an object of desire. Far from it. She's bruised and battered all over as she strips down and gets into the water as far from a sex object as you could get in that sequence. And as the film goes on and as her character of Stephanie develops certain skills, nothing major, we're not talking atomic blonde here, but enough to get through and survive and get to to work out who in the end is, is behind all of this. I think it's superb and I, I just don't understand all the negative reviews. I think it's a, a cracking oh, wow. little film. Well, you sold it to me. Sounds great. What about you, Neil? No, Do you I'm watch it? I'll go and see it, yeah. yeah. 
There we go. We, our work here is done, no, Darren? <laughs> So the next film is seen by only two members of the team, that's Jeff and Neil, is Emma, the latest version of Jane Austen's comedy. Emma Woodhouse, Anna Taylor-Joy, is rich and spoiled. She spends her life organising the romantic relationships of others. The carefully constructed world is not without its flaws and ultimately Emma's meddling will have unexpected consequences. How does this rate to the earlier versions, Neil? Oh, well, I can't remember the Gwyneth Paltrow version, which is not a good start. I haven't seen Clueless, which is a version of it, or the earlier versions. I have read the book, though. Coming after Little Women of David Copperfield, it does rather suffer against the competition. The good bit, Sanya Taylor-Joy is fantastic as Emma. It's a very subtle performance. Emma is an unusual Jane Austen heroine. She's rich. She's beautiful, she's intelligent, but she's also rich. And there's absolutely no need to find a partner in the immediate future. To pass the time, she decides to help others. First-time filmmaker Autumn DeWilde starts the film slowly and builds as Emma makes a mistake, tries to fix it and compounds the problem, at which point the film hits its stride. I like the dynamic between Emma and her neighbour, Mr Knightley, Johnny Flynn, who's about to play Bowie in an upcoming biopic. Bill Nye and Miranda Hart are excellent as the more comic characters. And for all that, it's an enjoyable couple of hours. I was watching Anya Taylor-Joy get educated on how to behave, how to talk to people, and whether she's the queen bee or rich or beautiful or, or uh, intelligent. She has absolutely no idea how to deal with people. Do you know what? I quite enjoyed it. Jeff. Really? Okay. Oh, this dear. film brought out my inner Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I never thought that somebody as right-wing as me could suddenly become socialist overnight. But watching this nonsense of people being dressed and meddling in the affairs of others, it's for the Downton Abbey Brigade. Oh, and it's Yes, yeah, it, is. it and is. Up to a point. I, I mean, really it's... didn't like the 96 version. But my God, this one took it down two notches. Anna Taylor-Joy needs to change her agent. I mean, what can you think, say of a film? The one person in it who stood out for me is a person I normally dislike, Miranda Hart. She was really good in this film. And the best scene of the film, which is the picnic scene, the only time I almost woke up, um, she was just wonderful. It's a shockingly awful film on every level, from locations to score to performances I would rather paint a wall and watch it dry than have to sit through this again. It was dreadful and probably will be my worst film of the year. Thank you for that well-balanced review. (laughs) Jeff, this is Jane Austen we're talking about. It's Jane Austen, for crying out loud. Just because your wife made you go to see it. I didn't like it. That's a no from both of you. Yeah, okay. I'm sneaking enjoyment of it. My wife liked it. You can take that on any level you decide. Quick retrospective review of the 1996 film While You Were Sleeping, as Graham and Jeff were on Radio Gloucestershire to talk about it. Sandra Bullock stars in a romantic comedy which could be seen as a stalking movie as she convinces (laughs) the family of a man 
in a coma. She is his fiance. Sounds creepy, is it, Jeff? No, it's not actually, and that that is quite surprising. The original title for this film was Coma Guy, which <laughs> makes it even more stalkerish. But in the early part of her career, Sandra Bullock had this real charm. You saw it in films like The Vanishing, in Speed, and this, and Wrestling Ernest Hemingway. And I think she's just tremendous in this film. Demi Moore was originally going to be cast in the part, which would have been a car crash. Uh, Julia Roberts, less so, but she passed in it as well. I think just Sandra Bullock is perfection. She she is just charming throughout. She takes you through this film. It's, a I think, a study of loneliness. It's a film that loves its characters. All but one are redeemed by the end of it. I think it's just a wonderful film, well worth catching up with. Graham. Yeah, I loved it. Everybody knows rom-coms are not my jam, but this one was quite good. As Jeff said, it's a study of loneliness, but I'd also say the the importance of family. The setup is silly, but Sandra Bullock is so good. She just carries the entire movie. There are some great lines, and the courtship component of the standard rom-com template is really well done in this one. Mind you, what man wouldn't fall for Sandra Bullock? (laughs) Good fun, good fun. Okay. Okay, reviews by one of the team. And this film, seen only by Jeff, Slender Man. Not a film I would ever see, based on the internet created horror character. A terror movie in which a group of teenage girls go online to call up the Slender Man. Why? Haven't you seen enough of these movies to know this isn't going to end well? Surprisingly, soon after, strange and horrible things start to happen to them. It's over to you, Jeff, as our own Slenderman Neil refused to watch this one as well. Is it any good? Uh, no. Oh, good. Good to, to be quite uh, quite on. short. Yeah. The, the whole thing with Slenderman, which is quite fascinating, it's an internet-created character from about 2007-2008. They wanted to create a mythical character online so they did a competition and it's incredible you know where where this character came from the fake pictures that were done for it this whole mythology that was built up of course it all went horribly wrong when these two girls decided to try and murder one of their classmates to enter the house of slender man that was in about 2014 in real life that was real life yeah they stabbed a classmate 19 times thankfully she didn't die Okay, great. There's a wonderful documentary on this subject called uh, Beware the Slender Man. If you get a chance to see it, I would highly recommend it. No, it's, not, it's not horror, but it's just an insight into why people grasp on this type of nonsense. And so what this film did, they, the filmmakers come along and thought, you know, we need a new horror character. We always do. And they tried to create the Slender Man. The problem was, once the film was being made, the producers decided, actually, we're going to cause a lot of trouble with this. Now... The court case was 2014. The film went into production in 2017. So you'd think enough time would have elapsed to realise this might be a mistake. But no, they went ahead with this nonsense. Now, to give you an indication of it, if you look at trailer one of this film, it bears no relation to anything in this film. (laughs) Characters die in that trailer that you never see in this film. They completely change it. So in the final version of the film, to try and appease all the outcry in the film, you don't see a character die in the film. They disappear, they don't die. It's just a mess. There's no mythology with the Slenderman character. It borrows liberally from Candyman and The Ring and various other films. 
And if you haven't got that mythology behind the character, it's never going to work. Uh, that said, it did make money, surprisingly. It's a just total dead end. It's a mess. It's horrible. But it's better than Emma. <laughs> okay. Moving Another swiftly well on. balanced review. <laughs> Another review by Jeff, the film 71. Over to you, Neil. Belfast, 1971. You do remember, yeah. (laughs) Uh, The British Army are being sent over to keep order. As one incident becomes a riot, young Gary Hook, Jack O'Connell, gets separated from his unit and has to try to get back with people on all sides trying to kill him. Sounds tough going. How does it compare to the recent 1917? For my money, it's the film that 1917 should have been because... You're building up, aren't you? Yeah, of course I wrote the bloody thing. more manic. No, 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 no. Go on. You've not seen 71, have you? No. I should have done. And it is an incredible film because, you know, you've got great actors like Jack O'Connell, you've got Sean Harris, and... The reason it's set in 1971 is because the troops were just going over there. The Catholics at that point thought that, you know, the troops had also helped them. So it didn't have the infrastructure it was later to have. And it was just carnage. And everybody is trying to kill everybody else. You know, you've got Secret Service in there trying to sort out their own little agendas. You've got the old IRA, the new IRA. It's just a disaster zone. And... The fact that you see Jack O'Connell, who's this complete innocent thrown into this, you get a little bit more backstory about him than you do about the two guys in 1917. But he is thrown into this and he is just trying to survive. And there are real surprises in this film as it goes along. And it's incredibly tense because you were shown things behind the scenes. So it's like Hitchcock, you know? Hitchcock always says, you can put a bomb under a table and blow it up and you've got that moment of shock. But if you show the bomb and then tick down the minutes, it's more tense for the audience watching it. And this is like that. You see, you know, the IRA cells that are trying to get him. You see the Secret Service guys, because this guy has stumbled upon a plot that he shouldn't have seen. So they're trying to kill him as well. And, And you've got all this going on. And this guy's wandering through it oblivious. He doesn't know what's going on. He just wants to get back to his unit. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the posh guys in charge of the unit who haven't got a flaming clue as to what's going on. And it's wonderful. I, I, I'm ashamed that I didn't see it when it first came out. And I've only just caught up with it now. But it is brilliant. Okay, I'll add it to the list. Have you seen this, Graham? No, I haven't, but it is on my list. Definitely. <laughs> Jeff's on a roll here. It's another film to be reviewed by Jeff. Made in 1978, this is The Buddy Holly Story. And the last film Keith Moon saw, he died after watching the UK premiere. It wasn't on account of the film, as it was very (laughs) good. Jeff, Gary Boozy as Buddy Holly? Does the performance and the music played on camera hold up for today's audience? Very much so. Boozy, who started out as a a singer before he was an actor, but you've got him, Don Stroud on drums, Charles Martin Smith on uh, percussion. It's just a tremendous film. I'm always worried that when, because the the widow of Buddy Holly had a hand in this film, so some of it's been watered down, plus the real crickets had sold this story elsewhere, so they couldn't be named properly, so they created these amalgam characters. 
but the energy of these films on camera. But there's one moment in the film which actually happened. They booked into a club in New York. They get there, and it's for black performers. So they like they walk in, and they thought they were booking a black act, having listened to the Buddy Holly records. And they said, well, we're not going to pay you. And, of course, the contract was. And Holly was really financially sound. I think mm-hmm. had he lived, it would have been interesting to see where he'd go because he was one of the first sorting out a lot of his own production. Um, Holly said to them, well, the contract doesn't say we have to play. We have to be in New York for these dates and you'll give us the money. So they put them on. So they go out on stage. Of course, the curtain's open. Huge black audience. White guys on stage. It's a moment of shock. But the music won the crowd over. Absolutely incredible. But the whole thing, I mean, Boozy, for me, he got Oscar nominated and... It was his best performance. I think he was brilliant. But it's a great film. If you haven't seen it, well worth tracking down. I got a sent a copy of this by my brother in the States. He said, oh, you've got to see this. Sent this to me. Wrong region code. You've never seen it? So I haven't seen it. So, yeah, I really want to see it. Big fan of Buddy Holly. You have to borrow my DVD. Have you got a thing that will play it? No, I'll just download it. It's all right. Oh, download. See, it's not the future, mate. Uh, Right, okay. It's going to be the only future if we're not careful with this virus. We'll all be watching downloads. So Graham hasn't been going to the cinema much this month as he's been staying home watching Japanese Saturday morning cartoons on Neil's <laughs> recommendations. So, Neil and Graham, why should I watch these things? Well, Netflix have got this deal with Studio Ghibli uh, and I've watched the first six Studio Ghibli animations on Netflix a really interesting and eclectic collection. So in original release date order, Laputa, Castle in the Sky, 1986. I loved this adventure. It's nonstop chases, wonderful silly air pirates. It has a Raiders of the Lost Ark vibe about it. And you'll be interested in this, Jeff. Miyazaki confessed that the village in the film channeled the Welsh mining towns with which he became familiar on his travels through Wales. So it's got a Welsh connection. So I I'll like be this guy. I'm expecting you to watch it. Neil, you yeah, like this I one? I can't remember this one, so I'm going to have to watch it again. Oh, it's great fun. It's absolutely crazy great fun. Neil, channel your inner Welshness and watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll try. The next one I watched was My Neighbour Totoro, which is 1988. Uh, this is just crazy, absolutely bonkers film. Uh, and caught the little girl's personalities. wonderful. It's just beautiful little film. I've seen this so many times. Yeah, thank it you is... two for recommending this to my wife and ending Letting her in floods of tears. This is just so much. See, it is brilliant. The, the child's imagination running around, running riot, and the, yeah. and just letting the kids play and the understand. The older one has to understand. You have to become self reliant to yes. uh, to to get on. And uh, I, I superb. I love that film. Next one was the 1989 Kiki's Delivery Service. It's wonderful build up with a, an exciting ending. However, a number of the plot points end up going nowhere. I did enjoy this film. I thought it was really, really great. The first two thirds of it are absolutely breathtaking. However, strange things happen to the little girl. It has a very exciting end, but I did think her friend, the painter from the forest, that never went anywhere, being unable to hear her cat talking and mm. things like that. But very strange, very different, very wonderful little thing. Yeah, it's again, it's the same thing. She she uh, has to go somewhere 
um, on her own, age of 13, a witch has to go to somewhere else to build up a practice. And she starts a delivery service because people want deliveries and she does that and she does sort of tend to shop to pay for her food and rent. And she does so much time, spends so much time on the delivery service, she forgets her her work, her, her, her being a witch. And I think there's that, uh, then she gets a lot of confidence. And it's, again, that thing that you have to be self-reliant. Yes. You have to help people. And the way she helps the person in the forest and talks to her, the way she helps the old lady make the cake, karma. Yes. Um, you help people and you get help back. And just that, and, and losing her powers, she just—it's um, she just almost on the point of despair, really, and she, people just pull her out of it. The next, next yeah. one is 1971. Only yesterday. This is a, a very different film. Is that a Carpenter song? Yes, <laughs> uh, very different. It's uh, about a young girl. She works in an office in Tokyo. Decides to move to the country, uh, but is constantly plagued by flashbacks to her childhood and the. The things I've learned about Japanese schools and the way they uh, kids behave in Japanese schools is unbelievable from this film. They are so disciplined. It's unbelievable. However, constant flashbacks do break up the flow of the narrative a bit. The 10-year-old girl segments are definitely the highlight of the movie. However, it's very strange that most of the action unfolds in the credit roll at the end. It's very bizarre. So, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen this one yet, so that's another one on my list. And then the next one is uh, Porco Rosa, The Red Pig. This is great fun. It's wonderful attention to detail in the aircraft design and the dogfight scenes. Nothing makes sense. No. Just go with it. It's no, no, bonkers no. and fun, he, crazy, and it's just Miyazaki great. decided that um, he wanted to do something with dogfights to prove that he could do a uh, hand-drawn uh, animation and controlling dogfights in the air and everything with a sort of 3D view, yeah. of, view of it and just to show that he could do it, really, and then just put a whole load of bonkers stuff around it. <laughs> it's funny. It's it is very, funny. very funny. And, and, and it's Poco Rosso is, is a very funny character. And it was definitely my favourite. And the final one is Tales from Earthsea in 2006. It's just terrible. Move on. Nothing to yeah, see exactly. here. That's shocking. why I don't, didn't watch don't it. Don't watch that one. So, Films of the Month. Let's wrap up February with our Film of the Month selection. Neil. Parasite. Graham. Parasite, but I saw it last month, so so to be te- technically correct... Uh, you can't, you can only have one. I'll sneak in two recommendations. You can't. Personal History of David Copperfield. No, you can only have one. It's well, called then, Film of the Month. Well, it wasn't of the month. You're like going back to your problem with the Oscars. It can't be Best Foreign Film. It can't be. It cannot be Best Foreign Film right, and so Best I'm Film. Right, so I'm having two. <laughs> Parasite Darren. and David Copperfield. Darren? Uh, yeah, Parasite. <laughs> And as I haven't seen Parasite, I'm going the rhythm section. Oh, right. I thought it was really good. Really good. That's another tick. Okay. Film's done for this month. Darren, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me again. Cheers, mate. We'll see you on the next one. Cheers. Thank you, Darren. That's it for this podcast, and thanks for listening to all the content we just could not squeeze into the main show. And, as we say at the end of every podcast, 
Thanks for listening and goodbye. To make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast, please subscribe to At The Flicks at our website, attheflicks.uk. And if possible, please remember to rate and review At The Flicks wherever you get your podcasts. You can contact the team on Twitter or by email. Our contact details are also on our website, attheflicks.uk. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.